0: All right, let's turn together to Matthew chapter number 5, Matthew chapter number 5 once again, and we'll be looking this evening at verses 21 through 26, Matthew chapter number 5, verses 21 through 26, and we're going to be considering a main subject tonight, but we're going to get into a number of different things, but I've entitled tonight's message Teachings on Anger, Teachings on Anger. Now, really, this begins a section that runs from verse 21 to to verse 37, where the intent of our Lord is to correct the traditional law. And by the traditional law, of course, we mean the law that had become uh, what was used uh, to pretty much determine um, all of the actions uh, of the residents there. But Jesus is trying to, let me rephrase that, Uh, he is correcting and removing, clearing away human traditions. Now, there are traditions within society. Uh, We have traditions within our church. We have traditions in uh, an American culture. Uh, There's nothing wrong per se with tradition. However, the tradition should not uh, overstep the boundaries of what the real law is supposed to be and what the real intent of the law is. Uh, there is what we have referred to in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're beginning to see this, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Uh, these are This is kind of the concept that we're trying to arrive at, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. We're going to deal with verses 21 through 26, but I want to just read verse 22, and that's kind of where we're going to get the subject here. Uh, the, words, the Word of God says, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire." Uh, There is some very strong language that's being used here. And of course, Christ acknowledges a familiar and well-known commandment. Thou shalt not kill. Now on the surface, we don't have to explain what it means to kill. But I think what we do need to understand is that the Lord has in mind much more than just the physical act of killing. He's also dealing with the reality of anger. So he's not just dealing with the act of killing. He's dealing with anger. But he's not just dealing with generalized anger. He's dealing with angry words. Words that are cursing words. Words that are meant to to tear down. Words that are meant to deride. Uh, They are what's known as killing words things that are meant to hurt, things that are meant to wound. Uh, We also know that scripturally speaking, that the passion of anger uh, is being also forbidden under this command, Thou shalt not kill. Uh, Really, people don't think this way in our society. We haven't really thought this through in many cases. But it really is so that Jesus is teaching here that a person who is angry with his brother... Jesus' words of intent are that he's actually really a murderer to be angry at his brother. Now, these are strong words. Uh, This this is one of those passages of Scripture that kind of makes you sit up and take notice. Uh, Not that the other parts of Scripture don't, but this this is really getting at the very heart of what Jesus was correcting in the traditional law. Now, you'll look with me at verse 21. He begins by saying, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. One mistake that society often makes, and the mistake was being made even in Jesus' day, was, was the thought that something that's old, something that's antique, should be authoritative. Um, If it's old, it must have been right. Uh, If it's something that's been said for a while, it must be correct. Notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you have heard that it was said by them of old time. Now, he's going to make really short work of this by saying what really is happening here. Them he's going to deal with those of the old time. He begins by taking one of the alterations of his father's law. Now, all of us would agree tonight that one of the Ten Commandments was thou shalt not kill. The first part of what's being said here, the Lord's quoting, that is true. Thou shalt not kill. But what's happening here is it's being dragged down to a lower level, stating that the only real threat here according to the Pharisees, was that if you do this act, you will be pulled into a court of law. Now oftentimes we look at this and we see, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. According to the traditional Pharisaical law that they were living by, their only concern was if you do this crime, you will be pulled into the court system. Jesus is saying this is a much bigger issue than just being pulled into the court system. This is the idea that there's more than just the court here. The judgment here is also a reference to the human court. Often people say only God judges. Well, if you are pulled into a lawsuit, for example, in our country, uh, there's a judgment that's passed. A judge or a jury is going to pass a judgment upon you, and they're going to determine your guilt or your innocence. The Pharisees' tradition... Thou shalt not kill was right, but their only concern was temporary. Their only concern was what's going to happen in this life. So it became somewhat of a, just a proverb in society. Listen, if you kill, you are going to be brought into, you are in the danger of being brought before the Jewish courts and you will face judgment. God, when God spoke thou shalt not kill in the, old te- in the uh, old, uh, Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, he had much more in mind than don't kill or you'll be pulled into a human court. His intentions were actually even well beyond just the act itself. It was within the attitude of the heart was also part of the, the Ten Commandments that were given. It had a far wider scope than just the actual event itself ultimately what the pharisees were doing by their tradition is they were narrowing the command of god which basically all but annulled what god really intended the law to be again the pharisees majored on certain things and they narrowed other things virtually trying to make it as not even a concern so to narrow a command or to narrow one of god's precepts or principles is in essence to attempt to annul it, to make it of no enforcement. Now, we don't use as our reasoning as to why we believe what we believe because it's old. It, it, it's, it's not because the, God's commands are old that makes it right. It's not, that, it's not because it's, it's uh, dated. But the truth The truth is the reasoning behind why Christ is correcting these human traditions. So you see verse 21 says, here's what you've heard. Now here's where Jesus corrects it. But I say unto you, okay, so he's given us what you've heard. You've heard it been said by those of old, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Jesus was not talking about spiritual things here. He was talking about being pulled into the Jewish courts. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Jesus is dealing more than just the actual act. He is dealing with even the, the anger with a brother without cause um to be angry without a cause or to say this word raka we're going to talk about that in just a moment Uh, this is jesus is talking about the attitude of the heart that lies within that leads to these things even if if we are to wish harm on another person or maybe we are even to wish that someone didn't exist uh, these are things that are to commit murder in the heart Jesus has got more than just the physical act. He has this, he mentions it with this anger without cause. And, and that's, he's saying that's what the law actually is. This is forbidden by the command which says thou shalt not kill. Unjust anger is to kill even in our intent. Such anger brings us under a higher judgment than that the Jewish court would do. What Jesus' point is, is they say there's something more serious than even being brought in before a Jewish court. It's being brought before the court of God. And he's saying that he's, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of that judgment. So this type of anger brings us under a higher judgment than what even the Jewish courts would bring. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's taking notice and making a point of dealing with the emotions that spring out of hatred. And he's calling men into account and calling the angry feelings a murderous deed. Words are coming under the condemnation. Under the traditional pharisaical idea, words and the heart don't really matter. It's just the actual act. So what is Jesus telling us? A man will be judged for what he says to his brother. A man will be judged for what he thinks about his brother. To call a man raka is to call a man a worthless person. It is to kill him and his reputation. It's to say to him, you're a fool. It's to kill him in the noblest characteristic of what a man is. Jesus is saying that all of this comes under the heading of thou shalt not kill. What I say to an individual matters. What I think about an individual matters. As as. Serious as it would be to be brought before the council or brought before the court of the Jewish court. It is far worse to be declared to be guilty by the highest court in the universe, which is the courtroom of God. And Jesus says the expectation of the courtroom of God is much more serious than even the courtroom of the normal Jewish Pharisees. So what Jesus is doing is he is restoring the law of God to its true intent. Now there's a, there's a movement with, even within our modern church today to try to lessen or to annul the intent of God's law, to, make, to narrow it. We hear terms like God is, God is not a God of wrath, God is not a God of anger, and God is just love, and we're trying to narrow the commands of God to make them more palatable and more acceptable. Jesus is restoring the law of God to its true force and its true intent. He is, in fact, denouncing and condemning the act of killing, no question about it. But he's also saying that every thought, feeling, and word that are used with the intent of injuring a brother or to kill him is murder in the heart. It really makes us think about our attitudes and our actions and our words and our thoughts towards other people. Jesus' law, instead of narrowing it and annulling it, this is a sweeping law. Now, when I think about how my conscience is affected by thou shalt not kill, as a believer, my response should not be, oh, that just means I shouldn't take the life of another person. To the believer, it should mean I should not even kill with my words. I should not have the attitude in my heart that I wish somebody was dead, especially a brother. And he doesn't just mean a physical brother. He means a brother or sister, even in Christ. It's almost unthinkable that we could think that way. But if anger without just cause, he says, is murder, how in the world could I answer for something like that? It leads us to remember what David said in Psalm 51, 14. He said, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. David was even acknowledging that even even in and of himself, this guilt of blood guiltiness that maybe somewhere along the line, he had even had those thoughts that had brought him to some sense of conviction. But he says that he shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Really, the Lord with great intent and great power really has corrected what the idea was for the traditional law. Now, verses 23, 24 don't seem to connect with this passage, but they really do. Notice he says, therefore... If thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now one thing that the Pharisees, and Jesus is uncovering something that the Pharisees were often guilty of. The Pharisees would urge as a cover for their malice or their hatred towards another person, they would bring a sacrifice as a means of trying to atone for that wrong feeling. In other words, they would bring a gift before God. And they would, what their hope and their intent was is that God would be pleased with the offering and he would ignore <clears throat> the attitude of their heart. In other words, I'm just going to appease God by bringing him something. But Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He says, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother in verse 24. Now, why did Jesus say that? Because in verse 23, he says, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, he's talking to the Pharisees who are guilty of doing this, and he knows that's what they do they bring a gift before the altar to cover up the intent of their heart as a way of appeasing god jesus is saying no what should be happening instead when you remember that your brother has something against you or you have something against them you ought to leave the altar leave the gift before the altar go thy way be reconciled to the brother then come and offer the gift we ought to worship god thoughtfully that's the intent. And while we are worshiping God thoughtfully, if in the course of our worship, there's, some, there's a, such a practical application here. If in the course of our worship, we remember that there's a brother who has something against us or we have something against them, we should stop that worship and go and seek reconciliation. In other words, our worship should not be used as a gift in place of reconciliation someone might say well i really i have i have a an offense against another person they have an offense against me i'll just go to church i'll offer my praise i'll offer my worship before god Jesus himself is saying, listen, if in, the, if in the thought time of your worship, you remember that someone has something against you, you have something against them, you should stop your worship and go seek reconciliation first. That thought ought to stop us dead in our tracks. That's a, the first thought about the murder in the heart and the anger, that stops us. But think about what Jesus is actually saying. He's saying, I would rather you have reconciliation with your brother than to sit and worship me until you get that matter taken care of. Remember, if we've wronged another, we should cease and go and hasten to seek reconciliation. It's only when we remember our wrongdoing and make reconciliation that we can even hope to be accepted before God. So what is Jesus teaching? He's teaching the most important thing is not the offering being brought. The the most important thing is peace with man and then acceptance with God. In other words, for us to be, for God to accept even our worship, we have to have peace with man. Now again, sometimes I think we get into a place where we think these are such archaic old thoughts. This is alive and well today. There are still people who have offenses against one another who've never settled them. There are people who come and they think by offering their worship that they're appeasing God and that reconciliation doesn't need to take place. When in fact, Jesus' own words are, if in the middle of worship, you remember you have an offense against someone, or they have an offense against you, you should stop worshiping and go reconcile right now. It's, it's very powerful things. And see, that the Pharisees just taught, just bring a gift. That will appease God, just bring something, and that will appease him. He goes one step further. He talks about this peace with man, the reconciliation with man, acceptance with God. We make peace with our brother, then we conclude our service towards the Father, and we'll do that with a proper heart and with a proper zeal. Really by way of a direct application, this is simple, but I think it's powerful to think about it. We should desire peace to be at peace with all men before we ever attempt to worship God. Because if I attempt to worship God when I'm not at peace with all men, I am presenting to God a worthless sacrifice. It's pretty strong words Jesus is using. Remember, He's correcting things. Notice these agreements continue. Verse 25, Agree with thine adversary quickly. Whiles thou art in the way with him. If we have an, a, a disagreement, if we have an offense against one another, the time to solve that is while we're together and do it quickly. The quicker you resolve the conflict, the less likely it is to grow into a bitterness. He says, agree with thine adversary, an adversary is an enemy, an adversary is someone who is against you, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge. He, Jesus has got now, he's got these, this courtroom drama playing out before us. He said, agree with that adversary while you're still with him, lest at any time the adversary delivers you to the judge and the judge delivers you to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Now he's starting to deal with even lawsuits. Every disagreement, we ought to be eager for peace, first and foremost. Honestly, the first thing we should seek after is reconciliation. We should seek reconciliation and leave off the strife before the strife ever truly gets a foothold. Listen, there may be times when something goes into a law system. It goes into the court of law. They ought to be seeking peaceful things, peaceful settlements. It, 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 it was the same in the Lord's days, and it's the same way now. You are much better off. <laughs> this is practical, probably a little bit of a practical advice for all of us. You're better off to lose your rights and to get into the court system who's just going to take everything they can get from you. You know, sometimes we're so concerned about our rights that we allow the human court to be the final judge instead of simply saying, you know what? What does the Lord teach us? That we ought to agree with adversaries quickly. In a country where it was in Jesus' day, To get justice against another person sometimes meant you just robbed and got back what somebody took from you. A settlement is much better than being dragged into a long lawsuit. What is is here? Jesus says, Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost uttermost farthing. He's basically saying if you allow yourself to get into that court system, <laughs> this is what he's talking about, they're going to take everything out, they're going to take everything away from you until you have nothing left. That's what he's saying. And he's saying you're much better to agree than you are to simply just let it go. Many a believer has gone into a courtroom in our day and age. They've gone into a courtroom thinking I'm going to get What's mine? And they come out with nothing. Again, what's Jesus' point? Our Lord's point is this is that reconciliation should always be the first desire. Agree with thine adversary, agree with thy brother, agree with the brother who has something against you, agree with the brother you have something against them. It's probably a scary thought. This is just a thought I'm speaking right now, how many offenses and how many offended believers there are across this world who have something against one another. We wonder why worship gets stifled. We wonder why certain things are the way they are. And a lot of times, one of the biggest problems in churches is that exact thing, is that there's been no reconciliation between members of one local church. One has offended the other, the other has offended them back, and there's been no sense of reconciliation. There's only been a desire to get my rights protected. Sometimes reconciliation means you actually have to give up some of your rights. My rights are not the thing that keeps it, that should keep me from reconciling. You know, people are today we're being driven on, for a lot of reasons. We're hearing a lot about my rights, my rights, my rights, my rights. It's interesting, Jesus never majored on, hey, go and exert your rights. But he did say, agree with your adversary quickly. Reconcile with an offended brother quickly. I don't find anywhere in scripture where Jesus says, stand up for your rights. We have a whole Christian division today who says our job as Christians is to stand up for Christian rights. Where is that scripturally? That's not ultimately what the goal of Christianity is. Imagine if instead of we fought for rights, we actually said, hey, let's fight for reconciliation. We're fighting a battle against the world and the nation, but we won't reconcile with our brother or sister in Christ. So we're standing up and we're saying, I have my rights. I don't have to do this. I mean, how many times have you heard that in the last year and a half? You can't make me do this. Is that the hill we're going to die on? Really? And yet we have problems and offenses against our brothers and sisters. The Bible doesn't teach us that our rights are the most important thing. Before we try to get our rights out in the community, maybe we should say, you know what, maybe I ought to reconcile with that brother or sister that I've been at odds with for years. And to challenge us all, instead of just coming to church or offering my gift before God, trying to appease God, instead of actually dealing with the real issue, which is reconciliation. So these are, these are strong words. These are... These are that's why many, many call, if someone, many say, what, what's the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached? Many say the Sermon on the Mount was it. Remember, he's talking about people who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This is the way kingdom citizens should live. Don't expect the world to think this way. The world's actually going to do everything it can to keep division. That's the world's, That's the world's desire, is to keep us divided and to keep people divided. Christian doctrine is that we ought to be able to be reconciled. Reconciliation, especially between brothers and sisters in Christ. So what is ultimately Jesus' intent here? His intent is that there is the Spirit. Remember we talked about the letter of the law and then there's the Spirit of the law. You've got people on both sides of this. You've got people that say, well, I only want to be a Christian who holds every person to the very letter of the law. If that's your stance, you're in big trouble because you can't keep the law, the very letter of the law. You cannot keep it. There are actually things in Scripture that were meant to be the spirit of the law. It wasn't just this. There's an entire, what the the meaning was. That's what Jesus is correcting. Yes, the letter of the law says thou shalt not kill, but the spirit of the law goes beyond that and says this should also include not just the physical act of killing, but it should in fact mean the anger and the words and even what I say to people. You know, sometimes even in our Christian circles, the word you fool runs off of our lips easily and it really shouldn't. And I think we probably, if we haven't all said it, we've all thought it. <laughs> Jesus is just saying that this is this is something that's coming. This is something that's coming from the the very essence of where our heart is. The law of God is spiritual. The law of God is it does touch the emotions. The law of God does touch our thoughts. It does touch our desires, but it also affects and touches the words and our actions, what we do. Just the very act or the attitude of me desiring something bad to happen to another person means I have it within me to desire that person's death. If I I wish ill towards anyone, I have a problem in my heart that says, I may be very much guilty of the spirit of the law, which is thou shalt not kill. What is it to, what is Jesus' intent? There is such thing as a murder in the heart. We're going to deal next week with another heart issue. Adultery. The law says don't commit Adultery. But then Jesus fires this back and says, listen, if you even look at a woman and you lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. (laughs) The letter of the law is don't commit adultery. The spirit of the law, what Jesus corrects is it even affects what you look at and how you look with the intent in which you look. And he says, if you look at that woman with lust in your heart, you're already guilty of adultery as if you'd committed the actual act. Killing's the same thing. So we could stand up here in our pride and our pomp and our circumstance and say, well, I'm so glad I don't kill, I'm so glad I never committed adultery, and yet Jesus says, Well, let me, let me just give you the, what the law really says. I'm not asking you if you actually took the life of someone else, but did you murder them with their reputation? Did you wish ill will on them? I'm not accusing you of saying you've actually committed what the act of adultery, what we'll talk about next week, but you've committed in your heart. You see, there's a common theme running through. There are problems in the heart. You can can put a law out there and say, thou shalt not do these things. And man in his, his, his pride will say, well, I can follow that. But then when Jesus says, now here's the letter of the law, but I want you to understand this goes much deeper than just the surface. It's a matter of what our heart even intends. So next week, we'll look at verses 27 through 30. Lots to chew on tonight. Lots to think about and consider about these teachings on anger. I would encourage you, uh, even this week, go back and read it again. Uh, There's things I didn't even cover tonight that we could probably talk about. But I hope we'll think on these truths and think about uh, what Jesus was intending with this. Let's turn over before we stand and pray. Let's turn over to hymn number 97 and we'll finish with this hymn tonight. We will glorify and then we'll pray and we'll be finished for this evening. Page number 97. Page number 97. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords who is the great I Am. Hymn number 197.